Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. <laughs> all right. Now that we're all okay, Jesus' last words were not the Great Commission, although that's often taught, and that's something that we've kind of thought were his last words. The idea of going into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. We think that's Jesus' last words. That is not Jesus' last words. Can I just tell you, after the resurrection, Jesus stuck around for 40 days. And this is the 40 days of infallible proof. So he showed himself to many. If you count all the occurrences that Paul puts together in the New Testament, there'd be about 1,500 witnesses. That is way more than is needed for a testimony to stand up in court. And in a Hebrew court, it would only require two or three. Okay? So over 1,500 people had seen him. We know that there were 500 people especially that witnessed the ascension. And so we understand that Jesus said some things and did some things during that time, and I think it's pretty important. Jesus' actual last words are in Matthew 1.8, not Matthew 28, all right? His actual, actual last words are this. Wait in Jerusalem, actually it's Acts, pardon me. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, right? So he says, tarry in Jerusalem, wait in, until in, in Jerusalem until you be endued with what? Power, right? So his last words were that. Interestingly enough, we put the go sometimes first and we put the wait last. But Jesus said to wait first, then go. How many of you know it's wait, then go? <laughs> right? All right. So in John 17, 20, we figure out why Jesus said to wait. And I want to teach on this especially tonight because you're going to find out how possibly to be an answer to Jesus' own prayer. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So this was Jesus' prayer for you. If you believe in Jesus' message, then Jesus at this point was actually praying for you and I. And it says that they all, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Say complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, uh, a predication, a presupposition, a requirement of evangelism is that the lost get that evangelism from a church that's in unity yeah, i want you to notice that two times that jesus says i want the whole world to know but the first thing i want is that you call all of my disciples together and make them one that's how they're going to know that it's me that sent them that's how they're going to know that it's my spirit because they're in unity and they are one so the last prayer and desire of jesus was that we would be one as he and the father were one 
so that all the world might believe. They're not going to believe if they hear it from a divided church. They're not going to believe if they hear it from a church that's fighting or that's quarreling. So it's very, very essential that we understand the process of how God calls us to be together in unity. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand what your Holy Spirit came to do. It wasn't just to give us goosebumps and wasn't just God to uh, endue us with power to see miracles. God, it was to make us one. And often that is overlooked, Lord. It's overlooked that when we talk about our brother or sister, when we are contentious, when we uh, disobey you with gossip and slander, or when we begin to fight amongst ourselves, we are actually denying the reason of your Spirit's coming. Help us to understand that, God, your Spirit came to make us one, and that's the power of our witness to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about the secret of how a church can be unified in Christ. It's right there in verse 22. Jesus said, I gave them my glory that they might be one. Now, glory in the New Testament, Greek word doxa, it's where we get doxologies, okay? Old Testament glory, we've got a few words there. One in particular, kabad, which means weight. It means heavy. It represents the presence of God. Another word in the, in the Old Testament would be shekinah. That one, I hope to land the land the plane on here in just a little bit tonight because Shekinah doesn't just mean the manifest glory of God, but it also means the dwelling of God's presence. It's not that God wants to just show up. It's that God wants to live and remain. That, that, that's, that's, you see, when we say, oh, that was a great service, we do a little injustice there to the third part of the Trinity because he doesn't want to just get, show up for a great service. He wants to remain. So the Shekinah sought to remain. And if things were in the right proportion, ordered the right way, God's glory could show up and, and remain. I want you to see that Jesus said, I've given them my glory for this purpose. The, it, glory glory isn't, isn't, look at me. It's not, it's not that we'd all show the world how much we are like Jesus, holier than thou. It's that the whole world would see how united we are together as Jesus is reunited to the Father. And it takes the Holy Spirit to do that. That is impossible. It's not only improbable, but it is impossible for a church to be united without the power of the Spirit of God. It, it is a requirement of the Holy Spirit. It will take the Holy Spirit to do it. There's no other way to do it. In fact, I'm going to go a little bit farther and say this. If you're praying for unity in the church, but you're not praying for the Spirit of God to show up and dwell in the church, then you're not going to be unified. You can't put the unity before the unifier. You, 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 if, you're, if, you're, if you're calling upon the unity of God to come, then what you're really calling upon is the Spirit of God to come. Because if hearts aren't changed from the inside out, there is no surface level unity. As long as we've got this surface level unity that we just start peacefully coexisting and that's passivity That's an idea. Well, i'm not going to deal with that because i'm just going to let that go and i'm not going to be I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. I'm not going to stir the pot I'm not going to worry about it because ooh, somebody might be offended. That's not unity Just looking the other way isn't unity Just just saying well, i'm gonna overlook that and not make a big deal or, or anything about that isn't unity unity comes from a heart that says, I know there's something there that's going on, 
And I'm praying for God's grace to change that person and to change me from the inside out so that we can be united. That's unity. It's an inside-out thing. It's not an outside-in thing. And there's a lot of outside-in. There's a lot of fake it till you make it baloney where we're all just trying to put on a mask. You know, you know that's what it means to be a hypocrite. We just kind of put on a mask. We're in a masquerade. We're, we're wearing something that looks like we all get along, you know, but that's not the point. It's not the point that we all get along. It's that we're, the point is to be unified. And Jesus said, I gave my spirit for that very simple reason. So when God shows up in the room, there is unity. I don't want to diminish miracles. I don't want to diminish the power of God. I believe strongly in that. But let me just tell you this. I have been in environments where miracles have happened, but the church left in disunity. And you have too. I've been in a church where we've seen God do powerful things, and then the church still leave disunified. Let me put it another way. I've seen people touched and get saved in churches and then God have to put them in another church because the church they got saved in wasn't unified enough to disciple them. You see what I'm teaching here? It's more important that there's unity than there is even miracles. Even though miracles are important, miracles are going to be the spearhead of what brings people to the gospel, but it's still the gospel, right? And what is the gospel? It is a, it is a part of God that came and died the son so that we might have relationship and unity again with the father you see so so it, what kind of gospel we get them if it's not coming out of unity then people are going to go well that was fun you know i mean that was a good time but everybody's arguing you know when when when, when there's an atmosphere of the true holy spirit a true holy spirit move of god in a church you will see people in the presence of god drop their issues they will drop them because it because because being in the presence of god is so wonderful that you you lose the pettiness the pettiness diminishes in comparison to the to the greatness of god's glory when god's glory comes and dwells then we get to, down to acts chapter 2 verse 1 and it says uh it says when the day of pentecost had fully come they were all in one accord in one place so we see this one accord we see this one place and i want to teach you something here yes the spirit was drawn to this agreement in this unity but this unity was already performing inside of their hearts before they gathered to pray remember when jesus breathed upon them the spirit right before he died when he sent them out to preach there's that connection again with evangelism before he sent the 70 out to preach he breathed on him he said come here and he went and breathed the spirit come on church so they're walking in right with part of the spirit of god you got the same thing when you got saved there's enough unity in you if you're saved to come to the next level and the next level is now the spirit baptized you're baptized in the spirit now you're surrounded by the spirit not just the spirit in you okay okay and so that's what happens here they were in one accord they were in one place there's an inward thing that now is going to be an outward thing right so what happens next is they're there for 10 days and i've talked about this before we're going to get to an important moment here in just a minute how the 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 crowd of the 120 that are there well, let me just go there right now i just want to ask a question if there were 500 people that were there at the ascension 
and there's only 120 in the upper room, where's the 380? And I just want to help you with something. Because every church, every part of the church body will say this to a pastor eventually. You'll, you'll say it. Where is everybody? You say it. Where is everybody? Holidays come. Pastor, where is everybody? <laughs> what you asking me for? Aren't you somebody? Come on now. Wait a minute. Is God here? Is you here? Is me here? Well, isn't that enough? There were 380 not there. I just want you to think about that. 500 seen him go whoop. Only 120 are there to pray. Boy, that does sound like church. Doesn't it? It does. Now, they weren't concerned at all. You, you know what they did? They obeyed what Jesus said to do. They went and they prayed and they went and prayed and, and waited for 10 days. Not worried about the 380 at all. 380 wants to come, they can come. Hello, right? You say, well, that sounds a little mean. Didn't Jesus say, go tarry in Jerusalem? Didn't he say, go, go wait? Right? So that's what they did. Now, not only is that a big deal, here's an even bigger deal. The, the people that are in the number that are waiting in that 120, the Bible lists Jesus' brothers. Now that ought to shock you because his brothers didn't believe in him. James included. But now they are believers. In fact, there's even a portion of scripture in the Gospels that say his brothers set him up to try to get people to accuse him. They were not only unbelievers, they were resistors. And yet now they are believers and now they're counted as the ones that are waiting for 10 days and praying. How would you feel about these cats? I wouldn't feel very good about them at all. Listen, we don't have everything in common here. You see, I followed him for three and a half years. You were his honking brother, and you couldn't follow him. He goes and dies on a cross and resurrects, and now suddenly, here you are. Kind of sounds like another parable where Jesus talked about some workers in a field. Come on. And one shows up at the very end, he gets paid the same. And everybody else is upset. Wait a minute, I've been here all along. Wait a minute, I've been doing what you told me to do. This cat shows up at the very end, gets the same pay as me. Now that's not, come on. None of this is about fair. Fair's not, fair's not the biblical word here. Grace is. You didn't deserve to work in his field in the first place. The fact that you're getting paid is grace too. So this is all about favor, not fair. These guys are showing up and they're the brothers of Jesus, the ones that stood in the way. James, the one who wrote the book of James, was one of them. Who later becomes the bishop of Jerusalem. They make this guy the big daddy. He's big daddy of Jerusalem. Now, none of this makes any sense at all. How are we going to have unity with a bunch of people who all along were resisting the same guy we were following? Then he dies and, you know, he's rose from the dead and it's like, oh, suddenly you want to believe. And yet they did. Because they were seeking the Spirit. And the Spirit brought the unity. You see, it's not about uniformity. Because you can't find unity in the flesh. 
Now, there is an element to unity that is diversified. And that word diversity has really been stretched in our culture. But you've got to stay with me in the biblical level here, okay? If diversity wasn't a contingent for, for unity, then why would God say in the Bible, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Now, I know you're all adults in this room. I've been married 35 years. Stuff my wife's got, stuff I ain't got. Have you figured that out yet? Who married? Anybody figured that out yet? She don't even think like me. She don't act like me. She sees every, she's left-handed. Everything is left. With me, everything is right. It's not about, yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Better answer, yeah. So, but yet the Bible says, that when we come together, we're one. In God's eyes, that's unity. Now there's diversity there. It's not the same. When John was talking about what he saw at the throne, in future tense, by his terms, 2,000 plus years later, at the throne of God, he said, I sing every tribe, every tongue, every nation, bowing before the throne and singing hallelujah before the Lamb. Okay? He's seen English people worshiping God before English was invented. Do you get this? In, the English language came way after John at Patmos. Derivative of German and some other languages. So he even seen Americans there, even though Americans hadn't existed yet. So if God was against diversity, then you don't understand how God sees unity. Because God is all about unity. But unity is not uniformity. It's not groupthink. It's not herd mentality. It's not, you know, all of us looking like the same person, acting the same way. Listen, it's all of us coming together, representing the body of Christ and the Spirit of God. That's why the Bible says, don't know anybody after the flesh, know them after the Spirit. Why? Because that's the, where we unify. When I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up in the church and I was doing ministry as a youth pastor, I, I, I hung around the older people all the time, okay? But I didn't understand a thing they were saying. But I wanted to be with them, you know? My wife and I were all, have always been that way. We always have chosen, to, but we have this love and affinity for, for, for kids. We love kids too. But we hang around and we fellowship with the older people. And it's not been till like maybe the last maybe five years of my life where I've understood a, a thing an older person has ever said. I'll be honest to God, I never understand a thing they said, but I'm hanging out with them. I'm starting to get it now. I'm starting to get it. It took me a little while. I'm starting to get it. But it didn't, it didn't matter that they didn't talk like me or look like me or act like me. And praise God, they had enough grace. It didn't matter that I didn't act like them, talk like them. You see, our preferences are not God's. Our personal preferences of what we like, praise God we've got a church that don't get all bent out of shape, you know, when the Buckeyes lose and when this team wins. And, you know, I've seen some ridiculous things in the house of God. And then we want to go out, we want to go out witness to people. Here's one for you. What would it be if we had three aisles of Democrats here? Wouldn't that be great? Yes, it would. How else are they going to get saved? <laughs> 
And the implication is all Republicans are saved, right? Wrong. I'm talking about unity of the spirit, man. I'm not talking about this outward, you know, allegiance in the flesh. And that's, and they had to accept Jesus's brothers in that group and then promoted him to leadership positions. And it doesn't make sense to me unless it's spirit led. Then it does make sense, right? I want to show you how this kind of works here in Ephesians chapter four, verse two. If you want to, if you want to turn there, that'd be great. Ephesians 4, 2. Paul says this. Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Preserve what? Preserve what? The unity of what? Of whom? The Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me break that down for you. Number one, this is what it tells us about unity in the church. Number one, it needs to be preserved. That means if it's preserved, it's already here. It means I don't create it. I don't know if you're hearing me. If you preserve something, it's already there. Do you understand what preserve means? Do I have to take you through? I don't think so. That means it's already there for you. Preserve. I'll wait till you get it. Because there's a whole lot of people that think, i got to make unity happen. Unity is already in the Spirit of God. It's a, look, where, look at this. It's, I don't create it. It's already in existence. So how did it get here? Let me show you. Number two, it says it's the unity of the Spirit. It's not of you. If the Holy Spirit is here, the potential for unity is here. It's not of me. It's not of you. It's not us sitting down for three years having fellowship together, finally deciding to like each other, baloney. The likelihood of you and I, you know, just absolutely falling in love with each other and picking out shades and, and everything being perfect is like zero. Hello, right? Because it doesn't come from that. It's not flesh to flesh. Marriages fail for this reason. Because one, one married person thinks the other married person needs to be exactly like them in order for there to be love. And that's not... That's not what love is. It's the unity of the Spirit. True biblical unity is seen wherever the Holy Spirit has influence. Here's the next word here. In the bond of peace. Now, bond today means like a note of debt. If you buy bonds, you're really, you're really lending a company some money. Okay, But in, in that time, a bond was something a little bit different. This is actually the, a Greek word here for belt. This is a Greek word here for belt, okay? So the bond of peace is what holds the unity together. So I'll, I'll say it again. Preserve what's already here in the Spirit, because it's from the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Put, put a belt around it. And that bond of peace should hold it together. L let me give you a, um, an illustration from that time, from, from what the Romans, you can still find this on Roman coins. You can still find this, uh, this image or this symbol you even find it in America today, okay? It's the Roman symbol of fasces. You've maybe seen a bundle of sticks, and they're wrapped. There's a belt around, a bundle of sticks. Some Roman coins would have an eagle, um, or on some of their flags they would have an eagle, and that eagle would have in its talon a bundle of sticks, but they'd be wrapped. The idea was you can break one stick, but you can't break a hundred. You put a hundred together and then wrap them, you can't 
okay? But they got to be wrapped in a bond of peace. Um, if you're thinking, well, I don't want to associate too much with that because that's where we get the word fascism. That's an extreme, uh, extreme interpretation of the word. Stay in the, in the middle here. You go to the Lincoln Memorial. You go to Washington, D.C. Lincoln is seated at a chair. If you look closely at that chair, under each arm is a fasces. The arm of the chair is actually a bundle of these rods that are wrapped together. They've carved it out of stone. I don't, don't take me literally, but when you go there, I've been there, you'll see that his, both of his hands, when he's seated there, is saying, my left and my right are all about unity. On the back of some of your, uh, your coins, it says, e plurnibus unum, out of many, one. The idea is in the world, but not as much as it is in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, um, even the devil knows that unity is the most powerful force there is. If you run a company, you understand the idea of synergism or synergy. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, right? You can have a team that goes out and all five of them do something separate. And then if they're a really good team, now this don't work in America anymore because you put five people together and they'll waste 50 minutes, 50, 50 hours, okay? But the idea is, if they come and they work together, they can get more done together than they could in the sum total of them individually working. And the way God sees the church is, is all of the gifts of the Spirit, look at this, all of the gifts of the Spirit are really centered towards and directed towards unity. The one exception in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 would be speaking in tongues. You edify yourself in that, but you can even use that as a word to the congregation. So every one of the spiritual gifts take other people to come other people to come together in unity for that spiritual gift to work why would you prophesy and nobody's there what what good's a gift of healing and there's nobody there it's just you right you can pray for god to heal you but a gift of healing is something completely different than that it's a it's a finer distinction so you understand that god wants to bring people together and then once they're together his spirit starts producing things but we want to see the miracles and god says i want to see the unity i want to see the unity because all of these things require unity first in order to operate there's another symbol or an illustration uh, incoherent light compared to coherent light um, incoherent light is kind of the light that's in this room right now. All of the photons that are coming out of these light systems are at different wavelengths. They're going different directions. We, we enjoy that kind of light, but there's very little power in it. You know there's very little power in it because if you go to a restaurant and you order a meal and you order the meal that takes is shorter than the person across from you, they put it under a light and by the time it gets to you, it's cold. Now... <laughs> The other kind of light is the kind of light where all the photons are traveling at the same wavelength. And when they're traveling at the same, same wavelength, you have a laser. And that can burn through steel. There's power now in that. And that's what God is saying. In the spiritual realm, he knows. That's why Jesus, later to the Pharisees, they said to him, they said, you know what? He's, a, he's full of the devil. That's how he can cast out devils. And Jesus said, oh no, that's not how the spiritual realm works. Jesus said, the house divided cannot stand. Demons don't cast out demons. Hello. They understand unity. Why don't we? 
It's a spiritual thing. Let me go a little bit farther. Unity does not happen with everyone. Know this. It's not a bandwagon. There might be some people that show up that are different than the people you started with. Maybe there was 500 before. There's 120 now. And in the 120, guess what? Are some people you never thought would be there. Thank God they're there. Right? (laughs) Unity also comes from the depth of our prayer life let's talk about what a depth of a prayer life we need most of the time here's what we're praying for i pastor long enough i hear I, I hear the same things and don't let me diminish any of these things these things are important but we're praying for comfort we're praying for peace we're praying for healing we're praying for what is really i'm going to categorize as pleasure really we're praying for an easier job an easier life uh, a blessed life hello all these things are scriptural God's a good father. He gives gifts. He's a rewarder. He's a blesser. All these things, don't let me diminish that. But then I read other places, and I think we skip them in the Bible, where people are praying in unity for other people, and it ain't any of that comfort, peace, uh, pleasure stuff at all. Let me give you an example here. Paul in Galatians 4.19. I am in labor for you. Ever been in labor? Guys, be quiet. The men, be quiet. Ever been in labor? Paul says, I'm in labor for you (laughs) until Christ is formed in you. And he was. And in the context, Paul is talking about prayer. He says, I'm praying so much for you, Galatians, that you know what? In my prayer time, it feels like I'm giving birth. Now, I've never given birth, but I've watched it happen three times. It is an absolute horrible experience. And I, <laughs> I'm not the one experiencing any of it, you know. I'm the one trying to do ice chips and everything else, breathe, you know. Back then we did Lamaze. I know some of you got different ideas about Lamaze. Hold on to your hat. But we did Lamaze, and my wife and I had this little knickknack called Moo Moo Mabita. Don't ask. <laughs> Don't ask. But I remember I'd put that little knickknack. It was a little cow with a bird on the top of the cow. I put that in front of my wife, and I'm just, moo, moo, and beta, moo, moo, and beta, and she, get that out of my face. You know, more ice chips, get away from me. You know? When you're praying for somebody, and you're, when you, you start feeling like God feels about them. You start sharing the same heart that God shares about them. This is why people don't line up for ministry. They don't line up for ministry because it's a, it's a labor of love. It's not just, you know, I'm going to do it and it's a job and I punch out. There are people that are going to break your heart and you're going to have to pray them through while absolutely being disgusted by them. That's the truth. And if you don't know that, you've never done any ministry. They're going to make you mad. And at the same time, you're just like, God, God bring them through this because I want to put the spirit of slap on him so bad, but God, you know, that's what Paul is saying, man. The little background, the reason being is, is he started these churches, and here's some bozos that came in, Judaizers, who start, who start saying what they want, and they're messing up the entire gospel, and now they're all in a bunch of trouble, and Paul says, I'm praying over you, but it's labor, it's painful, it's, it's, you, tell me about that. Unity is no fun when you're praying for it, when you're believing God for it. Because people act like kids, babies. 
Okay, I want to I want to end tonight with the effects of unity, and this is going to be heavy. This is actually I'm, I'm not I'm not boasting. This is college level what I'm about to give you. It's it's not rudimentary. It's college level. So stay with me here, okay? We see what unity looks like in three dimensions in Psalms 133.1. David writes on it. And remember that word dwelling, Shekinah, dwelling? That's where we want to land the plane, okay? So Psalms 133.1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Dwell, there's that word dwell, that we're starting to see Shekinah. It's not God paying a visit. It's not like going to grandma's for Sunday dinner, okay? It's not Thanksgiving where everybody just gets through the meal and goes home talking about each other. We're talking about dwelling together. Psalms 133.1, okay? It says, it is like the precious oil. Now we're back to the spirit again. See, the unity is there. Now we've got the spirit. It says, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. Let me just point out, okay? The anointing of God in the presence of God comes down, not up. There's an authority to it. Okay? If you don't like authority, then you don't really care for what God wants to empower you to do. I'm just going to say something right now. Uh, uh, the American church is anti-authority, and that is unbiblical. Authority is, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to blow it. They're going to be dumb. And you know what you're going to have to learn how to do? Show them grace. And pray for them until they get it. And listen, I've had some bad pastors too. And you know what I had to do? I had to sit under them. I had to love them. I had to deal with them. Just like you got to deal with one. you got to deal with one that's walking flesh. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? If you want to be anointed, just know that it flows down, not up. We all want this, you know, from the ground up, grassroots. Let's have a revolution, brother. You go hug a tree and put a flower in your hair. I'm not, I'm not about I want God's unity. And it comes from his spirit. And it's going to come through authority. And listen, if God doesn't want that authority to there, he'd take him right out. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the king's heart is like a river in God's hands. He's just going to move it wherever he wants to. And you, you think, well, we, we've got we've to do something. <laughs> He'll do it. You just keep on praying. You just keep on trusting. If that man or that woman or that person isn't right, God will just go, I mean, just with a, out of his nostrils, he could change a situation just like that. And he's about to in this country. Okay, three amens, yeah. All right, so let's look at that word dwell. It doesn't, it doesn't mean live in a commune. It doesn't mean give up your individuality. It, do, it doesn't mean that. That's, not, that's not, the kingdom of heaven is one, yet the plan has always been diverse. Remember, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It doesn't mean giving up your characteristics or some of the things that are unique about you. That's not what it means. You don't all pop out as robots. Okay, the word dwells there in Hebrew is the word yeshab. It's made up of three Hebrew consonants, and I want you to write them down, please. God bless you for doing so. The first one is yad. Yad. Here it is. Yad. Hand. Closed hand. Yad. All right? It was a pictographic language at this time. It's not now. You go to, you go to Israel today, and you're not going to see little pictures. You're going to see like letters, like Aleph. Biet letters. Okay, those are Hebrew letters. Alpha, bet, Hebrew letters. But back in that time, they were pictographic. So the first one is yad. It means closed hand. All right? The next one is shin. Now, you will see this, this letter in, 
in Jerusalem and in Israel today, it looks like the letter W, okay? Shin, letter W. Um, it is the first letter in Shekinah. It is the first letter in many of the words for worship. It's the first letter in Shalom. It's the first letter in El Shaddai, the Almighty. So you'll see Shin everywhere. You'll see it on the mezuzahs. Anybody know what a mezuzah is? Yeah. So you'll see these little, little boxes. They're rectangular. They'll put them on their door, the sides of their door. As they're walking in, they'll kiss it. As they walk out, they'll kiss it again. Made up, it's just built around Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, the Shema. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Right? Teach us to your children. And you're coming and you're going. We even sing a song in this church. Our worship team sings a song that explains the mezuzah. Right? On the outside of the mezuzah will be a shin. Right? That is, that is signifying Shekinah. And it's signifying Shaddai. The presence of God is in my home. Okay? God Almighty is in my home. I'm going to be conscious that God lives here. That God dwells here right? I'm not going to be conscious that I live. This is not my castle. Come on. And I'm not the king of it. Hello. You might claim head of your home or household on your taxes, but scripturally the man is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the home. Did you get that? That's scriptural. All right. The man is the priest of the home, but the home belongs to Christ. All right. So that, that word shin, it's a, it's a word for worship. It's a, it's a word for the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. And then thirdly, bet, that's a word for witness. Now, you want me to break these down or you want to come back next week on it? I got five minutes. You want me to break them down? Break them down. Okay. So first, the yod. Let's talk about the yod. You remember, we're talking about unity here. David is saying, look at how wonderful, good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, to dwell. And then we break that word down, yashab, dwell, right? You say, well, why are there yashab? They add the vowels later. The original Hebrew were, was just consonants, okay? They add the vowels. So why is, why is this a picture of something here? Let me give you, give you the first here, yad. Yad is the, the pictogram for work. So when we have the power of the Holy Spirit through unity, we could do anything that God calls us to do. That is the only thing required. There should not be, one, in, in a church, there should not be one church business meeting or church board meeting that says, how can we afford it? You got to get this. The only question is, the only question is, do we have his spirit and are we unified? Then there's nothing we can't do. He has promised us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So any work we set out to do, if we're unified and we have the Spirit of God, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much. And some of you are going, well, I think it does. I think we better look at how much it costs. God calls us to be wise. Consider the cost before you build a tower. Yeah, listen, if everyone's unified, if half the church is saying, wow, that's going to be $3 million dollars, and it's not going after anything this church has been called by God to do. Well, you're not unified. Hello. You say, Pastor, I still don't know about this. Well, listen, you worry about, you worry about money. 
and I'll be concerned about the Spirit. And I want to do what the Spirit calls us to do. I got a couple friends. Some of you are just, you just, it's like, uh, I don't know if I can believe that. You'll get it. Here's the next word, shin. Talked a little bit about it, how it's Shaddai, Shekinah. How it represents, uh, also it represents God's consuming fire. If you look at that, word, that letter, that consonant letter, it looks like a W. It does look like three flames. If you, if you, today, it's not even pictographic today, but it does look like three flames. And what's really, really cool about it is, is that also, you could almost see the Trinity in that. Couldn't you? And you could also see how whenever the presence of God shows up, there's fire. You can also see how when the 120 came together in unity, tongues of fire appeared above their heads. But I want to go one step further, okay? Who do I want to, who's going to help me tonight? It's going to be Dimitri. It's just, it's just going to be. Come on up, sir. Everybody give him a hand. It's like, wow, there he is. I, I needed somebody good looking and I found him. Okay, so, so here's what we're going to do. Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, okay? Um, do, you, do you know a posture of worship that we do in this church? Have you seen some of the things we do as worship? Yeah. Oh, cool. I didn't, this has not been planned. This not, okay, so turn and face the audience, please. Okay, so a lot of you, a lot of you folks think that this is New Testament or Pentecostal. It's neither. The origins are to this word shin. I'm going to show you, if you go a little bit higher, here it is, boom, 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 okay? This is, this is shin. This is lifting up holy hands. This is what the high priest would do as he worshiped the Lord in the holies of holies. And so as the Shekinah glory came and consumed the sacrifice, we have the shin. Hey, give him a hand. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, awesome. So our worship then is unified. It doesn't matter what song Ryan plays. Nobody's going to get upset about what direction the music goes. Nobody's, nobody's worried about that. The only thing that we're concerned about is God's presence manifest. That's all we're concerned about. We're not concerned about preferences or, 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 or the way the service goes. We're, it was God's spirit dwelling with us or not that's the only question you ask in a church that's on fire that's the question did we have shin not sin right right cool um do you remember moses when the children of israel are battling the amalekites and you remember moses he was told by God to do something. You remember what he was told to do, right? Well, if you go to that spot in Israel, and if you go to the timing of where the sun would have been, that would have cast a... Now, you remember, this is the Almighty. Doesn't the Bible say that we live under the shadow of the Almighty? See, the sun would have shone behind him, and the shin would have cast a shadow over the... All the children of Israel, and as they fought against the enemy, as long as the shin was there, as long as there was someone surrendered, as long as there was unity, and God's spirit was there. But he started to, come on, he started to get a little bit tired. So you remember Aaron, and who was, who was the other one? Huh? Her. Not, not H-E-R, but her. Okay? Had to show up and lift his hands, right? Well, they had to lift his hands up so that shadow would remain. Hmm. 
And God says, that's what unity is when you start to see that my presence is the only thing that matters in winning the war. Okay? Lastly, biet. Biet was, uh, in, in the Hebrew uh, consonants, it means house. So, so when the people of God are unified, the people of God are dwelling together, now the Spirit dwells with the people of God. Whatever they set their hands to do, right, they can do. Whatever God's called them in unity to do, they can do. Not only that, but they also have God's presence, and as they worship the Lord, they become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit to remain. And God doesn't want to just show up and visit. He wants to remain. And we think about what is the secret behind some people groups or some churches or some movements of God where God shows up, lots of people get saved, they begin to get discipled. Things, life happens, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and and people are getting set free and all that stuff. And then why does it suddenly stop? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because the unity stops. Because somebody starts to go, wow, we're pretty good at this. And someone else goes, well, I had a big part in that. And we're not a house anymore. We're divided. That's what happens. We know that God not only inhabits the praises of his, of his people, but we also know that God wants to live in a house. He's, this is the house that Jesus is talking about that's built on the rock. And I love the last two parts of the verse. It says, it's like precious oil. And know this, that it flows down. It empowers, it blesses. The lost know of it. He says, we find it even like the dew. The Bible says it's like the dew of Mount Hermon. It flows into Jerusalem. If you've been there, uh, Mount Hermon, Hermon where it, that's where all the snowfall is. And it falls down. The snow falls gently. You've seen some today. It falls gently. It's, it, it's even silent. And then it just covers. It's beautiful. It covers. And then as the sun comes up, it melts. And if you love the mountains, you know, I know Miss Hannah does. If you love the mountains, then it melts. And in Israel, it's funny how it melts because it comes from above and then it melts down and then it goes underground. And then it starts to babble up. As the deer panteth for the water, there's areas where the water will just spring up and it's fresh water. It's cool. And, it's, and then it starts to gather together and then it dumps into the Sea of Galilee and there's life. And most of Israel, most of Israel is watered this way. It all comes from heaven. It falls gently. And think about the Spirit of God when He shows up in our life and we're unified. It's gentle. It's so peaceful. I've heard that a snowfall, when, it, when snow just falls, not when it's compacted, but when it just falls, it has an R factor of 14. It, it, can, it can insulate. It can, it can take noise and act like a, a sound baffle. And God says, that's the way my spirit is. When he shows up, it's gentle and it's, it's peaceful and it's life and it's unity. And then God says, then I'll do all these miracles. You know, 
And at the very end of the psalm, it says this, Psalm 133, for the Lord commanded a blessing there. For the Lord commanded. Wouldn't it be nice? This is at the end, okay? Wouldn't it be nice? I know we're all like striving for a blessing from God, but wouldn't it be nice to just stop chasing the blessing and just wait upon the Spirit of God, be unified in the Spirit of God, and then just kind of fall into, like a windfall, just kind of like fall into, like, what? I didn't even ask for this. You, did you, you know there's all kinds of people that got stuff from God that never, never asked for it? What? Because they were where Jesus was. They were where Jesus was, and they were acting in faith, right? I didn't even ask for this. Why is all these good things happening? I'll let you figure that out. Why don't you stand with me in prayer? Who wants to close in prayer tonight? Maybe somebody's got a word too. Maybe somebody's got something from the Lord.